0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning. Hey, I tell you, there's some fresh breezes blowing in our old country. I think Megan mentioned it just a little bit, and down in Wilmore, Kentucky. Of course, all the good things seem to come from Kentucky. Did you ever notice that? There's a fresh breeze blowing down in Wilmore, and she's talking about that, and other college, Christian colleges across the country are trying to join in. Be interesting to see what happens. Something similar to that happened back in the early 70s during what was called the Jesus Movement. That's when our church started. And, and we had things happen there that that are just really difficult to describe because the working of the Holy Spirit uh, is substantially different from uh, uh, daily run-of-the-mill stuff. And every once in a while, it gets a little discomforting, even for preachers. The most embarrassing thing that ever happened that I can recall, we were renting the Seventh-day Adventist church up on 27th Street. They had a baptistry. They had... And they used it on Saturdays, so we used it on Sundays. And uh, the the music there, because they were probably 75% of the congregation were teenagers. And the music was was wonderful. The congregational participation that Megan was trying to work with you on uh, created. The congregation became like a choir, if that makes sense to you. The singing was magnificent. And, we, and one Sunday, we had people coming forward wanting to accept Christ before I had preached. Well, that's awful, you know. The poor old preacher didn't get to get his two cents worth in, and they were all right. But that's the kind of stuff that happens when the Holy Spirit kind of takes over, and we let him do it. That's the big deal. We let him do it. It's, it's an interesting thing. So there may be some... Um, good things happening here in the not-too-distant future for the cause of Christ in our country because it's long overdue. The, um, some of the good news things that need to be said about the congregation here is I saw Lisa Sparks coming in and she got good news from, Houston, from their doctor in Houston, Texas. Uh, Ramona Southworth has got good news and uh, we stopped in to see her because uh, she was headed for the doctor and uh, to do for the lump ectomy in the breast, and she was coming out of the house, and she fell and broke both her ankles. And so, I mean, so she had to go back then and wait and redo it all, but uh, it's turned out to be the, the news is pretty good, and we're tickled about that this coming week. Uh, Mike Roberts will be going to the hospital for some surgery. We want to keep him in our prayers. And uh, because God is is listening and doing things that are really kind of exciting, need to share that with you. <coughs> now, the message this morning requires that I do some background work that's going to take more time than I ordinarily take some really interesting thing and you will need and if you don't have one take the time to do it now go get you a uh a bulletin with the sermon outline on the back of it because there's some stuff there that you'll need and if you don't have just get up and go get you one it's okay and um, and because we're going to go th- after an introduction thing here to help you understand what's going on why uh we're going to fill in the blanks on some things that I want you to know. Is the sound good? Can everybody hear okay? Ron, can you hear me? Are you awake? Yeah, okay, just checking, okay. Uh, because I, I can't evaluate that very well <clears throat> from up here. Let, let me read uh, a passage of Scripture from the fourth chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. Now, what's happening here, so this will make sense to you, is old Eli... Is an old priest who supervised the uh, worship the tabernacle worship for israel in a town called shiloh and uh, he uh, had been there many many years old eli had he was the guy that was the priest when young when hannah took samuel uh, to the tabernacle to dedicate him to the Lord, and and when the Lord spoke to him and said, you're going to end up being a priest and a judge over Israel. Well, old Eli had been there a long, long time. He was in his 90s, and he was unable physically. He was blind and uh, and fat and uh, old. All of those things make me uncomfortable, and... uh, there's humor there if you just think about it for a minute. Anyway, he had two sons who were doing the work that he used to do in supervising the bringing in of the offering of sacrifices and, and the care for the, the tabernacle. Those two boys, one of them named Hoph, spelled H-O-P-H-N-I, that P-H is an F, it's Hophni, Hophni. And the other one is Phineas were taking care of the work there in the tabernacle. They were just absolutely useless. They were were corrupt and bad. What they were doing was, uh, and I think Matthew mentioned this back some time ago, when uh, the way that the priesthood had their food is everything that was brought into the temple or the tabernacle uh, was put in a common thing and uh, if it's meat if it goat lamb uh, beef whatever it was 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 cut up put into a, a large container full of water uh, where it would be cooked and they had wh- what looked uh, I don't know you you're not farm people so you're not very bright when it comes to some of this stuff anyway on the farm we had what was called a hay hook you could Take that, hold it in your hand, had a hook on the end where you could get a hold of a bale of hay and pull it, in, and it was handy. They had something like that, only it was longer. It was a meat hook that they would use to dip into the cauldron and pull out the meat that they would be able to keep for their family. These guys ha- had learned to work the system. They didn't do that. If, if someone like William brought in a... Uh, a, a 650 pound grain fed baby beef because only he could afford that anymore and and they would bring in something like that before they put it into the cauldron the these boys would say no we're going to keep this 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 is ours you see the deal was they were to trust god to provide for them and just reach in and whatever came out was what god wanted them to have and and they could live fine that way but they were greedy and they they would take the meat then and sell it at the local market, and they were just getting filthy rich. And it was even worse than that. They even had a thing on the side where th- that they were sleeping around with some of the the wives of the of the other workers, and there was sexual immorality. It was just a real mess. And so God saw all of this coming ahead of time, selected Samuel to replace Eli eventually. And he said to Eli and, and, and just told him, he said, Look, Eli, you knew what was going on. The people kept telling you. And, and even though you told the boys you did nothing about it, they should have been kicked out, they should have been disciplined, they should have been replaced, you didn't do it. The result is judgment has come on Israel. And you're going to die and so are they. And your family line, the lineage of your family is going to disappear. see to whom much is given the scripture said much is required those of us in leadership in the church will be held to a higher standard of judgment by god than you guys will it ain't fair yeah it is because the blessings that come with it is responsible there's responsibility too so what i'm getting ready to read here is the judgment god has sent a, a prophet in before old eli and, and, he, and here is the judgment that's coming down on him because of what they've done. The other thing that they did, the boys, they, there was a fight between Israel and the five cities of the Philistines in what's called the Gaza Strip today. And the, 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 uh, the Philistines were bigger, stronger people, and they had technology that the Israelites didn't have. They had learned to smelt iron, and so they had swords and spears of iron, and it gave them a a hand well above what the Israelites could do. Just and they were bigger people. They were just because that's where uh, uh, Goliath came from and his brothers. They were just and they all weren't that big, but they were just bigger, stronger people in battle. Had better technology well the israelites were having a hard time fighting them even though they outnumbered them and they so they they went to the temple to the tabernacle and took the ark of the covenant that had been brought up out of egypt and uh and and they took it into battle thinking that if we take this symbol of god's presence into battle we can't lose well what happened is they not only lost but they. The Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant, took it with them, and put it in the temple of Dagon, which is a a, a, a priest, or, or rather, a false god that the Philistines brought with them when they came. They were called Sea People when they settled there in those five wall cities, and so uh, because of all this that's happening, here's here is is what's taking place, starting at what, verse, uh, part of verse 14. The man, this is the prophet that's coming, uh, the, the fellow that's coming to Eli to tell him what's going on in the battle. The man hurried over to Eli who, and here's a description of Eli, he was 98 years old. His eyes were set that he, so he couldn't see. And the man came, coming from the battle told him, I've just come from the battle line. I have fled from it this very day. Eli said, well, what happened? What happened there? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines. The army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phineas, are dead. And the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. When he mentioned the Ark of the Covenant, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. He was an old man and fat. He had led Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant. And near the time of delivery, when she heard the news that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband both were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the women attended her said, Don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory of God has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark. This word Ichabod literally means the glory is gone. You see, when the ark of the covenant was carried by Israel from Egypt, into israel there was the the light there of day there was a bright fire and 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 bright light that led israel that that was called the shekinah the shekinah means glory of god ichabod means the glory is gone and the presence of the god so they viewed that because they 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 saw this ark of the covenant they were they were, uh, shall we say, superstitious about it. They were putting more emphasis on the symbol of the presence of God than on God himself. Now, that's enough said uh, for that. What I want you to do, and if we need more light so you can see, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm like uh, poor old Eli. My eyes are gone. So, I want you to look at your sheets now, and we're going to have a little quiz here to see how well you have listened And uh, what you know. All right? We start off. We've got seven different names here of uh, people, places, and things. And on the other side, there's a word that describes them from what little I have given you for an introduction. And then we'll go from there. Okay. Who is Samuel on the list over there? Who said that? I heard it. I heard it. Who said it? You're you're shy. Is this? There used to be a cartoon with a guy in it named Mumbles. I hear you mumbling. So who is who is Samuel? He is the judge of Israel to succeed Eli. Right? You remember Eli and all right. I mentioned this earlier who is dagon he is that he's a philistine god where they took the ark of the covenant after the philistines captured it and took it to the temple of dagon and and parked it there shallow shallow is the location of the tabernacle where the ark of the covenant was kept and it was the center of worship at that time for Israel before they, had, before they moved to Jerusalem. Who is Phineas? He's the father of Ichabod, and he, he died in the battle there along with the next guy, Hophni, who is son of Eli. Very good. All right. And Eli is a 98-year-old fat priest. Now, I say fat on purpose because I'm going to talk about fatness. And 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 if you're obese and here this morning, you just tune me out, because uh, you might take this in a way I don't mean it. And uh, okay, Ichabod, meaning then, the glory is gone. All right, good. All right. Uh, the reason that, that I I was touched in a kind of a funny way about old Eli. First of all, uh, he, 98 years old, blind. Overweight, da 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 da. That that overweight thing in among preachers. I'm talking now mostly about leadership in a church or in Israel. When I was a kid, on the I was raised on a farm down in Kentucky. My daddy was a was a tenant farmer, and he finally bought a little farm, 127 acres, over in Mason County. Down 13 miles out of Maysville and mother was teaching school and we were in school in a small town there called Sunrise Kentucky in Sunrise Kentucky we had a, a, a little Christian church where we all went probably 75 people on a Sunday morning we had no preacher and so what would happen is that there was a Bible college in Cincinnati called they called it Cincinnati Bible Seminary at the time would send down on Sunday a preacher for us. Sometimes it would be the president. Sometimes it would be one of the the professors. But one in particular I remember, only one. And he, it turns out, was the guy who taught preachers how to preach because there is such a class. And, uh, And I remember his name. I remember a lot about him. His name was Bob Wetzel. Dr. Bob Wetzel. And the reason, I was nine years old at the time. And uh, because I, I went from Sunrise to Germantown and I entered the fifth grade uh, when we came. But we were living in town then because uh, uh, Daddy had already gone to the farm over in Mason County and Mother and until we finished the school year, my brother and I, with her. And Bob Wetzel would come more often than any to preach for us. And he was a pretty good preacher. But I only remembered, and and mother told me that, I only remember one thing about him. Just one thing. Here's what a nine-year-old boy would remember. Bob Wetzel was a magnificent piano player as well as, I guess, a decent preacher. But when he sat down on the piano bench to preach, his hind end was so big that it lapped over either side of the piano bench. I am not exaggerating. This literally is the truth. That's what I remember. I don't remember a thing he ever said. I remember he was sitting on a piano bench and us in the back laughing about the fact that he had a lap over. Piano. I don't have, Maybe they saw it off the piano bench to give him a break. I don't know. But I can tell you that 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 those are the things that impress people. And I've always been a little uncomfortable with the leadership of the church that looks like they eat too much all the time. Honestly, and it's always bothered me. And I've worked hard at that. But then when you get like poor old Eli at 98 years old, your metabolism rate goes just under stop. And and every time you eat a little piece of hamburger, It just goes right here and uh, there's not much you can do about it I was talking to my first wife this week and I said you know we've got because I've gone when I had this recent surgery where the doctor all cut my throat I was at 165 pounds and he said I want you to stay there I want you well. when they weighed me this week and he turned me loose and won't see me for a year he said you've picked up eight pounds let me tell you about that eight pounds you complain about your legs hurting and they do he said ever this is what he said every pound that you add to your belly you multiply four times that on the impression on your uh, of the weight of your on your legs and i don't know where he got this data but that's what he was saying if you want your legs to quit hurting get rid of your belly I don't know whether the doctor ever told you that or not. If they hadn't, you owe me some money, whatever a doctor charges for that kind of information. So, but I've always been sensitive about uh, preachers and church leaders who are just obese, because if I, if a nine or ten year old boy sitting there can remember that, 70, eighty years later, seventy five years later it makes an impression, and you think about these youngsters today who are having a hard time uh, staying put in the church anyway. We need to be conscious of things more than just the words that we say. We need to be conscious of what we reflect as an individual. The early, in, in, earlier in our country, uh, most of the preachers wore robes because they didn't want the clothes that they wore to be and imp- make a an imp- false impression or to take away from the message that they preached. And physical appearance does make a difference. Probably the greatest orator in the history of the United States was a guy named George Whiteman. George Whiteman was, his sermons were so good that Benjamin Franklin caught, put them in his, even though Franklin was a deist, not, not a practicing Christian, He had kind of a fast zipper and some other problems. But he put all of uh, of Whitefield's sermons in his paper that he published there in Philadelphia. Whitefield was such a great orator that 10,000 people could hear him clearly. Every word that he said, that was before we had any kind of amplification at all. He was so... Good at what he did is Franklin told a friend of his who was going to. He said Franklin told him. He said you ought to go hear him preach, but don't take any money with you. If you because he'll get it all before you leave. He said he is that compelling in his message, and he had a couple of children's homes down in Georgia that he used to finance from the money that he collected at those at those gatherings. But what? But you know why he's remembered even more in the books and stuff that you read about it, he was, he was severely cross-eyed. I mean severely. You couldn't tell when he was looking at you. And for whatever reason, this is the world we live in, the books that describe him talk more about his eyes than they did his messages. So, so we need to be aware especially those of us in positions of leadership the way we dress the way we talk can detract from the message that we preach if we're not careful if we're not careful and certainly that's the case here with this old guy he had two sons that that he should have kicked out and he didn't and so it became then in and israel israel had a had this ark of the covenant. Now, an ark simply means a box, and this box, yea, big, was they, they plated with gold that they t- got from the Egyptians when they left. They put they all around it. They had they carried it with uh, some sticks that they went through rings on the side of because they weren't supposed to touch it. And they developed a uh, an attitude about the ark of the covenant. And uh, they even referred to it as the seat where God sat because it, they kept it in the Holy of Holies where only the high priest would go once a year And yes, they were, unless they were moving it from, say, Shiloh to, to Jerusalem. Now, what happened there is that <coughs> they, became, they became more concerned about the Ark of the Covenant than they did the will of God. And that's a temptation we have to be really careful about, really careful about because we have a tendency to do that as a country we really do, um, especially those of us who have strong convictions about patriotism. you know we live in a day now when a patriot is being badmouthed because of the globalists, the people who think there should be one government for the whole for the whole of the the planet and then it should be the united nations and da, da 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 and and i violently differ with that that's these are the people who believe in open borders and all that kind of stuff and they're really most of them are really really rich because they are uh, major companies that do business all over the world and so they don't want to be bothered with with uh, uh boundaries these people are really really powerful and those of and, and these are the people who were able to, with the support in the Supreme Court, of saying that the burning of the American flag is is a civil right. Well, see, I think a guy that burns the flag ought to be fined. I mean, that's that, I'm just being honest with you where I stand. Now they they're not doing that. They've said no. That's that's a civil right. But if I were doing it, uh, and and and. Uh, you were burning the flag down here I'd call the cops and say you know either put him in the hoose gower that's kind of stuff you stop because I'm one of those who have a tendency because of my background and my history the fact that I had uncles in the Second World War brothers and in, in the uh, in both in Korea and the Vietnam and so I, I think that this country is special and anything that undercuts that, it's offensive to me. So you need to know that up front, And because a lot of our young people are being told. But we have to be very, very careful here. If we're not careful, we'll make the same mistake Israel made. Israel saw what was superstitious about the ark of the covenant they thought "Hey, this little box covered with gold will guarantee us to have victory over the philistines because you know uh, god brought this thing into existence well see i think god brought our country into existence and made it a very special place even the Deists, who were not practicing christians said and it's in writing easy to they said concerning our country you know it can only survive if we stick with the Christian virtues that brought it into existence. That's in writing. I can, I can defend in court everything that I'm telling you here. And so I, I suspect that we have a tendency, those of us who are con, fairly conservative about those things, uh, to think that the flag can maybe, in defense of the flag, can only do what God can do. I'm convinced That what's going on right now, I think Megan mentioned it down in Wilmore and some other places that are beginning to catch on, uh, is probably the only thing that's going to save our country from impending doom. Now, I know you're thrilled to hear that. I can just tell you're so happy to hear that. Because God ultimately, ultimately God is in control of Everything. Ultimately, he is. And unless we take our eyes off of symbols and put them on him, we're apt to make some serious mistakes. We're apt to. So what I'm saying is Israel's mistake was thinking that, you know, guarding and protecting and having, un- having the Ark of the Covenant with you would protect you, when it didn't. It didn't at all. You see, they were guilty of replacing God with a symbol. And if we're not awfully careful, we can do the same thing. Even though I strongly believe in the preservation and the care of the flag, that cannot, that cannot replace the necessity of a living, abiding faith in a living and abiding God. We have to really be careful here so the question we have to ask ourselves and you need because i can't ask it for you you have to ask it for yourself what is my relationship not with the flag but with the god who created this country to start with where do you stand with him because ultimately that's going to determine whether we fall apart or we get stronger ultimately and I think that's the message here. That says, See, God doesn't always guarantee victory because he looked at things. With, see, when, 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 uh, when uh, Hannah couldn't have a baby and finally she was given, given birth to Samuel, this was 40 or 50 years ahead of the fact because God already knew that Eli and his ornery boys were messing up the cooking. I've always wondered this because I don't have a good answer, and I've checked psychologists, and I've always wondered why preacher's kids were so ornery. And the, the honest answer has always been among preachers is because they ran around with the church member's kids. That kind of gets us off the hook, you see, which really isn't true. But th- in, in, in searching that, I found some interesting things. Did you know that, Children of individuals who are viewed as in a position of of authority and some power, their children have more problems than anybody else. If you don't believe that, look into the history of the children of policemen. I've spent a lot of time with our local police in years past working with their kids. Present, and the kids are trying to prove that they're they can something here. There's a psychological something or here that's above my understanding. All I can do is say that I know for a fact that children of people who are perceived to be leaders have more difficulty than those who aren't, percentage-wise. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't figure out for a long time how Alice Kay could give birth to kids like that. But but anyway, just for what that's worth. Because see, the reason I'm saying that, Eli, the priest over the tabernacle in all of Israel, a symbol of real power and authority. Because those priests were held in great esteem. His boys were the ornerous cusses in the whole country. So there's something there somewhere. But I can tell you this is a redeeming thing for poor old preachers because we don't have many fans anymore as a profession. I can tell you that if it weren't for the children of the preachers, we wouldn't have many preachers today. Because ultimately, they come around. Because of our children, Matthew was the worst one of the bunch. And, and, and that's being fairly objective about things. Alice K, you know, women are, are kind of screwed up in the head when it comes to some emotional stuff. And, and she kept telling me, I can love him into being a better boy. I'm saying, you need to be beaten with a stick. I can love him into being a better boy. Beat him with a stick. And and so she finally came to me, and she said, you can have him. (laughs) Well, he was bigger than I was by then, so the stick thing was out. But I could send him to a boarding school in California where they had a stick. And I did. I did and so he turns out to be a preacher now he ain't perfect yet I'm working on him but anyway it is a fact it is a fact that the number of preachers today who are children of preachers is significant and we really have a problem having enough preachers to fill the churches we do because no one wants to be a preacher that's gonna be hung out to dry. Yeah. I've always kinda of enjoyed a good fight to be honest with you. I could you know, I can I could go back and reminisce a little bit about the thing out at the county fair which was sad but necessary. But we won that sucker. And and that bunch of thieves that were brought those prostitutes in from Dayton, if they even show up in Sauda County anymore. They, ha- they go straight to jail. Don't pass gold, don't collect $200, go straight to jail. That's the way we signed, ended it. And so uh, bring them on, you know. So what you all don't know is I found out that they were aiming to move that thing, that car show thing that uh, from here down to pretty close to E-Town, Kentucky, because they were getting close to the Fort Knox where they'd get all kinds of arnaquessis. I beat them there. And and when I got down there, I I met with this Baptist preacher who had a great old big church. I told him what was going on. He called the county commissioners. They didn't call them that. They called them something else. And and we we had them beat before they got there. I I like a good fight. I like a good fight. Now, I'm not talking about this kind because I'd lose that. I'm, I'm talking about the kind where you can sneak around and get them in the backside before they know what's going on. Now, okay, all that said, let's talk, about, let's talk about greed in religion, because that sexual immorality everybody knows about, but greed, greed, what the heck is greed? The Bible says that it is the lust for money that is the root of all evil. That's the reason we have today in the political and economic world. We say, follow the money. Follow the money. That'll get you to the heart of the problem. Now, here's the thing that makes all of us a little uncomfortable. It'll make you uncomfortable too. According to the New Testament, all of us, because of our natural selfishness, have a propensity for being greedy. All of us. And the only way that we can go from that natural propensity for greed is for God to become an important part of our life where we know that we can rely on Him to provide all of our needs. And we cease then to think, Oh, if I can accumulate enough, I'll be secure. It doesn't work that way. Alice Kay has a cousin. He, he supported our church this past year with a great deal of generosity and, and helped with our, our, problem, our, our project in Uganda. He wrote a check for $50,000 and said, Scott, you use this any way that you think will be the most effective, get the best results for the kingdom of God. And, and so there, are, there is a tendency for us to say, okay, it is money itself that is bad, but it isn't. See, we do the same thing with guns. We say, guns are bad. Get rid of guns. Everything's going to be fine. That's the biggest lie anybody ever told. They're just trying to get the, the stuff off of themselves onto a thing. You see, guns can actually be good. Our country wouldn't be here if we hadn't had guns to, to chase the British back across the ocean where they should have been all the time anyway. Because those cockeyed Brits were the ones who created slavery here. We didn't do it because we wanted to. They brought it here. They were making tons of money shipping slaves from Africa to the U.S. So we, Uncle George, see, I, ha- I had uncles literally three or four generations back who fought with Uncle George Washington actually the way we got to Kentucky when we came to the promised land is those two or three guys who were in the Revolutionary War after the war was over were given ground in Kentucky in payment because they didn't have any money the country didn't have any money that's how we ended up in Kentucky and so I've always sort of figured that when the Lord comes back, he may come through Jerusalem, but he'll settle in Lexington. And right now they need him, according to their basketball team. We need to understand there's nothing wrong with guns. It can be a good thing. When I was a kid on the farm, I could go out early at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, go sit under a hickory tree and kill two or three squirrels, bring them home, skin them mother put them in salt water to keep them and they were important for us to eat in the fall of the year when the cold weather finally come i'd go rabbit hunt i i I squirrel hunted with a 22 bolt action rifle and i got pretty good with that sucker but then i graduated i'd go and i was only 10 or 11 years old then i'd go rabbit hunting in the fall Big old fat rabbit. They I'd get about three of them in the morning because there were plenty of rabbits then. I'd get about three of them in the morning and I took barb, I uh, took wire baling wire and I t- tied them to my, to my belt. Well, after I got if I had any more than two, I lost my breeches. They were they were that heavy. So so what I'd I'd, I'd go out in the morning, and I'd kill me two or three, bring it home on the back of the the smokehouse, had nails. Daddy put nails up there, put them on, skin those things, give them to mother, go back that afternoon, get three more. Those six rabbits were really as good as killing a hog as far as feeding the family. The gun's a good thing. It provided what you needed. You see, a gun is just a piece of wood and metal hooked together. That's all the heck it is. Nothing wrong with it. It only becomes bad if a bad guy uses it. It's a good thing when good people need it to use to feed their family or to do something good. Now, the reason I'm talking about guns is because now I'm going to get to money. The scripture says money is not, Jesus never badmouthed money. He badmouthed mouthed the inordinate desire for money called lust. The lust for money is the root of all evil. It means then, I'll do about anything to get money. And the accumulation, and the more the better. See, the person that does that has no reliance on God. He is relying on the natural propensity that we're born with as sinners for greed. We are by nature greedy. All of us. It's a problem in the ministry. We've got guys, in the, especially the mega churches. One guy pays his wife $375,000 a year as a co-minister. And he's rich. They live in a, in a gated community with guards and they have uh, cars that'll reach from here to the back of the bill. I mean, goodness gracious, it's greed. And the pagan world sees this kind of stuff and says, if that's Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And they're right. They're right. The Bible is very clear about from the beginning of the church, before even the church at the time of the Old Testament, religious leaders figured a way to work the system so that they could have an inordinate amount of things and money. And Jesus comes along and he says, hey, you're looking for the wrong thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll provide all that you need. And not many of us get there. Not many of us get there. Okay? So greed is, a, is, a, is something that we all have to deal with. There are different levels. You see, Jesus never bad even the rich people. What he did was and it's all through the New Testament, but what Jesus did was he said, look, if you're blessed enough to have a lot of money, it puts, as a believer, as a follower, as a believer in God, it puts you in a position to be rich in good works. You use it to honor God, and it's a good thing because there's nothing wrong with the green stuff or the stuff that jingles. I prefer the green stuff. That's supposed to be funny. wake up you know so what what, what I'm I'm, I'm really saying here is we all have to be very careful and to admit to ourselves if we if we're on it because every non-christian has a degree of selfishness and a lot of us who are baby Christians have never matured live in that selfish world which means that greed is something that we have difficulty controlling if you look in the new testament it talks about it often and i like i like really what paul wrote to timothy because he was a young preacher and most young preachers are dumb in a box of rocks and so and he was the same way But here's the way he said it. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and listen now, and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain that was there at the beginning preachers who knew who who learned to manipulate the system for excessive financial gain the bible talks about that jesus dealt with that really pretty pointedly in the ninth chapter of the gospel of luke and you, I bet you've never heard a sermon on this. At least I haven't in recent times. This is the ninth chapter, starting at uh, that's verse 23. Jesus is uh, having some difficulty with the chief priests and the scribes and the teachers of the law. And then he, here's what he said, starting at verse 23, ninth chapter of Luke. Then he said to them all, "If anyone would come after me," He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, Jesus said that self-denial, which meant what we're talking about, it meant dealing with the natural desire for greed and wealth. We all have it. We must get to the place where we deny that natural desire. And that can only be done through the power of preaching and teaching the Bible and the influence of the Holy Spirit that we permit in our life on a daily basis. Otherwise, that natural desire is dominant. And Jesus is saying, in order to do that, you must deal with it and and deny that desire and replace it with the desire to follow me and taking up the cross means and he goes on in that same thing and said you know the old person that you were with your greedy desires whether it's in vehicles or houses or money or whatever he said what really must happen that old guy that you were who had all of these desires has to die people That's the reason he said, take up the cross. The cross is a symbol of death. He goes on and explains it this way. Because he's talking about megabucks here. He said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will save it. He explains it this way. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world... And lose or or forfeit his soul. Let me put something in here. I got time to do that. Maybe. What time is it anyway? Oh, just time for me to go on. Um, I can't see much. I've got Eli disease. Anyway, what Jesus is talking about here is the 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 old man of sin. That all of us were needs to be put in the past and die, because in Christ, where the Bible says we become a new creation, a new creature in Christ Jesus, and this new creature is totally different from the person that we were. Person that we were, because this new creature is openly desirous of His life reflecting the character qualities of Jesus that's our goal that's why the apostle paul used this term he said for me to live is christ what's he talking about here he's talking about love he's talking about the spiritual things that the holy spirit creates in us that that duplicate the life of jesus That should be our goal. And each of us needs to evaluate ourselves in light of that goal, and especially at communion time. That's why we have it all the time. Communion time is a time when we evaluate ourselves. You don't look at your neighbor. You shut your eyes and look at yourself. Is the old person that I was dead and gone, or have I just put on affront. That old person needs to be dead and gone. It's really difficult for people in positions like I am, have been for years, it's really difficult to get to that place where money isn't the big deal. It really isn't. It's helpful and necessary, but it's not the goal of life. There was an old preacher, I was in Bible college, and I'll close with this. I was in Bible college at Kentucky Christian for four years, and, and once a year we had an old black guy from Louisville, Kentucky. His name was Dr. Isaiah Moore. He was a professor at a Bible college there in Louisville. Brother Moore was about this high, and, but he had a voice like a foghorn. You could hear that little guy, I can, I can still remember him talking about when Jesus had sent the uh, devils into the swine and they went over the hill and drowned in the, in, in the lake. He said, you know what they are, you city seekers? They were hogs! And you could hear him clear downtown. And he was the one who said, he was the one who gave the preachers this advice. And I remember it clearly. He said, Every wife needs to go into league with God. Every wife of a preacher needs to have a covenant relationship with God. And that covenant relationship should say this, the following. She should say, Lord, if you'll keep him humble, I'll keep him broke. I'm not saying that we ought to be broke but I am saying that helping people change their life should be far more important to us than what we're paid. And if we can find that and that covenant and keep it, our church can change. Our community can change and our world can change that's the good news let's pray father I thank you so much for your word I thank you for the Bible you're inspired authoritative absolutely perfect Word of God help us father to preach it with clarity and sincerity with a single desire that your Holy Spirit will fill it and use it to help us rise above those natural desires to reach a level of spirituality that will reflect to the world who you really are. We ask for your blessing upon those in our world today like down at Asbury and other places where are seeking the Lord and Lord, let it happen here again that's our prayer in Jesus name amen God bless you you're free to go Christ Community Church located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth Ohio Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10 30 a.m. for more information visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page